Hi, I'm Sade. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 135 of Shades of Brown. Uh, this week, uh, it's it's mostly going to be uh, WWDC 2020, but we, we have some some other news that ha- also happened during during this period. During the uh, keynote, think, Microsoft tried to bury it, keynote, and they did not the, bury Microsoft it. Microsoft tried to bury it under, under, the, under the WWDC news uh, avalanche uh, was was that the their streaming service uh, mixer is, is is being shut down and is they are partnering with Facebook Gaming. Uh, Yikes! And and this actually is, I think, in some ways, like kind of sad because I I I there's not a lot of competition in the in the big streaming service space. Like there is now Twitch. And then there is, uh, what is it? The other one, uh, YouTube gaming, right? Like YouTube, right? And well, the- in the U.S. specifically, right? This is piece worldwide, right? Because if we look at like Europe and maybe Asia, it's a little bit different. But in the U.S., you have Twitch, and then you have some people who do Facebook gaming, and then you have LOL YouTube gaming. Whereas if you go to like say um asia right you have sites like billy billy nico nico yeah billy billy and uh yeah there are specific services but in, in like in like sort of like the western market of of streaming it's it's very limited to now to, now basically amazon controls the majority of the of the streaming market right because only old people use facebook right like i don't know anyone who'd be like a facebook gamer i the thing i have never used facebook gaming i, I don't i i don't have a facebook account in the first place so that's that's not surprising to anybody who listens to this podcast uh but like Facebook gaming doesn't exist for me and Twitch remains the Twitch and YouTube. Like I have to use YouTube gaming, YouTube streams for Overwatch League. And, uh, that's basically it. I, I don't watch other streams on YouTube. Uh, most of, if I do watch streams, it's going to be on Twitch. So basically Amazon is. The majority player in, in the, at least in the North American market. Uh, and for like a technology perspective, right? Like Mixer had the best streaming tech. Like if you, if you want to talk about pure like just latency of a stream, Mixer gave you the best quality to latency ratio than Twitch or YouTube gaming gives you. Cause I think YouTube gaming on their ultra low latency mode, 1080p gives you, um, two seconds ish. And that's two seconds of me watching VTuber streams from like a Tokyo server, right? Being relayed out to the US. Whereas Mixer was always sub one second. And then Twitch is just not. Like Twitch has a low latency mode, but it's not like second latency, right? It's always like multiple seconds of latency on Twitch. It's 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 like two to five seconds, I think, is as the latency is what I usually see on on low latency streams, right? Uh, and, and and the reason I think like but uh, like the mixer failed because it didn't have like enough momentum to keep going. Like I feel like it just never got off the ground properly, right? Like it just never got. In, like they tried, they really, they fucking signed. Uh, who's that fucking streamer? What's his name? Ninja. Uh, like I don't know who the fuck Ninja is. Uh, apparently, uh, but like he signed. He like multiple streamers were signed at millions of dollars of contracts. They they really tried to get Mixer become to become like a platform that uh that like actually has some 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 success, but like. So much mindshare of streaming is on Twitch that it's very difficult for like even Microsoft to put in millions of dollars and not be able to make headway in, in that space, right? It's just very difficult. And 
like the, the tech was not going to be enough to sell it, right? People don't really care about the tech that much, right? They care about the people they watch, right? So it's uh, yeah, which is it's just it's strange to me because we always talk about right, like centralized big services are bad. People only use YouTube and stuff because there's no alternatives, and then you have Mixer come along that objectively was a better platform mixer had a better community team than twitches mixer had a better um it was it's still like a shitty machine learning powered bot right but they had better autobots for chat to moderate chat mixer had a better partnership program mixer had a better streaming platform and mixer had better monetization options for said streamers but that doesn't matter that that doesn't matter when everybody like already has their audience on Twitch, right? They're not moving. Like, they, why would no? You know, I get that. It's just like it's just it's ironic to me that we're that people in air quotes, right, are always like these centralized big services are bad, and then when a alternative pops up that is objectively better in all the areas we people complain about it being better, no one wants to jump ship. No one wants to move, right? And Twitch. Twitch partners are not going to move, right? Like Twitch partners are heavily invested in Twitch. They're not moving. Even Twitch affiliates are probably not moving. Like it's, it's basically, it was like when Microsoft bought Beam, right? Which was the original name of Mixer, if anybody remembers, uh, back in the day. Uh, and everybody was like, Oh my God, maybe, maybe Beam will, maybe Beam, Beam will actually become some, somewhat successful that Microsoft can put some resources into this, maybe. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. And partnering with Facebook gaming means it's just dead, bro. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I, I, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not aware that Facebook gaming is actually a huge success that I don't know about. I don't think Facebook gaming is a success in the US, but Facebook gaming is a size, like, Facebook Live is objectively a platform right like it's obviously not in the circles we're in but like if you just look at the raw numbers of people who are on facebook people who make money on facebook live and facebook videos and all of that like that's a it is a bizarro world yeah it's a sizable platform but like it's not one we're around i i think it's the least gaming of the gaming streaming services right like because it is facebook Right, I feel like maybe, but yeah, it's like more so in like markets like Latin America. Um, I would say some other areas of the world, not maybe not re- or maybe like boomers in the U.S. <laughs> are on Facebook Live. Maybe I I don't know. I don't know what Facebook gaming's market is. Like, do does do, do we? Have- oh God, it, you know what it is. You know what it is. Don't tell me you don't know what it is. It's conservatives. It's it's right. It's people on the right. Let's be. That is Facebook Live. That is Facebook as a whole. Like that's I I'm not wrong. Like. The I I mm, probably I mean yeah probably I like I don't know like if anybody in our audience watches get streams on Facebook gaming at us like I I I want to like I want to I want to know <laughs> I I would I be mean, tentatively because firstly I want to I want to like sit down with you and and let's have a conversation let's have an honest dialogue about how you listen to this show and then immerse yourself in only Facebook media like let's have an honest conversation about that <laughs> let's first have an honest conversation. and then maybe just, we can, just, we can just, figure out the I just want to talk bro. I just want to talk bro uh you know uh, <laughs> but yes uh and so mixer streamers are are moving to Twitch. All right, most of them I imagine are moving to Twitch and not Facebook or gaming. not moving on at all. I've actually seen on Twitter a bunch of people be like, you know, I'm done. Like people are like, they're trying. They just got partnership on Mixer, right? They just had an audience, and now they're trying to make money off it. They're just kind of like, this is discouraging. Because we have to know, we didn't notice as well. You have a fucking month. Less than a month is what Mixer gave until July 22nd is when they shut their doors. Yep, less than a month. That's people's livelihoods gone down the drain in less than a month. And and guess what? This this also happened. Their mixer employees didn't even know this was going to happen until the day it happened, right? Like the mixer employees didn't even know. 
Like, what the fuck, bro? Like, come on. And we shall say, Mixer itself, like, had a problem with racism as well. That was also buried by this news. Because uh, Mixer, Mixer community manager was apparently referring to people as, like, slaves, like, partners. And using that language around black employees, which is objectively gross. And I mean, of course, I guess who cares now because Mixer is gone and everyone's fired. But yeah, that's that's also not. That's well, also sorry, I should say everyone's so. fired because let's. Here's the real kicker. So we're in a pandemic right now. You're shutting down your service, firing all the employees except for the tech staff. That Mixer's faster than life FTL protocol is now going to be powering XCloud. So of course the engineers get to keep their jobs, but everyone else can get fucked. <sighs> of course, love love to love to live in the in the in the priesthood economy where uh the tech people are the priests and the thing is too i was listening like i was i've been on mixer like there's actually a good amount of like black streamers who are like popping off on mixer and like that entire community is just in shambles yeah it's it's gone it's, it's done that's this and uh, if it. you're if you're ninja in shroud of course you just got 30 30 million dollars and are clean to go and to do, whatever. do basically nothing like you that's like a f- I don't know, like that's they're just going back to Twitch, right? Like they're just going they, back to Twitch, and that's it. Because what do you do? I mean, I guess like if Google was smart, they would si- swipe in and be like, "Hey, YouTube Gaming," but of course Google won't. Because honestly, like YouTube as a live platform, not that bad. It's like really, actually, maybe not that bad. And I would argue that unlike Twitch's horrible chat culture, is that the, the the platform itself was fine. It's just that it, it, it's not that you can't just have the platform be fine. You need the mindshare and the streamers to be on uh, your platform and have like a critical mass of, of streamers on your platform, right? Like that's the, that's the thing you need. And and Mixer just never, I feel, never really got that, like which which is unfortunate. But uh, yeah, yeah, so, just like so, maybe maybe people don't want decentralization after all. I don't know because this is this is just an example. Of, like we literally had multiple options for streaming that are good, right? Arguably, we're going from one corporate entity to another, and I get that. But if you look at it from sort of a the the thing that everyone's always talking about it's like we don't want lock-in we hate how we're stuck on these one platform like right for like any sort of like email whatever any like sort of online service people are always like we want alternatives and then when alternatives present themselves that are good no one wants to jump ship yeah so let, let's let's get started on, on on the main fair here uh which is the next five hours of our lives next five hours <laughs> now we are gonna we're gonna we have we have cut down the list to do a good chunk of WWDC 2020. Uh, so let's start by talking about like the, the format and uh, format of the of the conf- of the event this year. Um, or the talks uh, rather is is that they, obviously everything was online, and the way they did it was it was all pre-recorded videos. Uh, like pre-recorded videos. Like the the keynote was just like you know presented. Uh. And it was a pre-recorded keynote, right? Like it was, it was, it was pre-recorded. The uh, State of the Union uh, video was also obviously pre-recorded, right? So everything, all the talks were pre-recorded and available to watch on 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 the WWC website and on on the app, right? Uh, and they distributed the the talks. Uh, they would make even though they're pre-recorded, they didn't they didn't just dump all the talks on you on the first day every day they would uh, like unlock a, a new set of talks which i think was a good thing because it sort of means that you're not overwhelmed with what, what do you want to watch and you can sort of like focus on some things and watch those talks and then i'm going to watch these talks on this day and then i'm going to watch those talks tomorrow etc and i think that was that was a good idea to do and not not dump 
all the talks about you. So what did you what do you what do you think? Like what how, this online only format like is I think is better than the live format. Like it's I I, I think it's better. Uh, so I would say if you look at um. If you look at Google I.O., Microsoft Build, and now WB Straight, and how they're all been online only, and I actually think this is a far more accessible event for anyone because it's not also just sessions. It's also labs, right? So, like, say you say I wanted to, like, talk to an engineer about some code having an issue with it's basically you, they tell you the, you know, beforehand, they're like, oh, this lab's on this day at this time. You sign up for the slot. You, you, it just asks you, hey, type in your question and put in the code beforehand and then it's basically a queue right so they'll just like it'll be a, a slot at a time and assuming that they don't run out of space right yeah assuming they don't run out of space you'll be good and you'll be good for that session there's far more space now because it's all done you know online where you're just text chatting of an engineer rather than having to like be in person and that means that more people can actually get access to those labs which is actually pretty useful because sometimes if you program for a certain platform that doesn't have documentation it might be really confusing about how a certain api works and you can talk to the person who actually made it and they can explain it to you and Google I.O. as well, right? Where Google I.O. is also just a couple of videos and Microsoft Build. I think it's, I think the idea of throwing a bunch of people in a uh, conference area is great for like white people who can afford it, but like no one else. Yeah. And it's, that's also the thing. It widens, like there are a lot of, like most iOS developers cannot attend WWDC for various reasons. Like it, it, it is in America. You have to travel. It is expensive. You have, like it is, like that's it. It's expensive and it's like not a privilege that most iOS developers are going to have. Right. And like they're not going to be able to get to WWDC and like they don't, not going to be able to get access to those physical labs. And like that is the problem. I, feel like is kind of solved with with the online format is that you can yeah essentially do have these have these talks be on like have these talks be online first of all which which makes them as accessible to not just not just developers worldwide but also like people who are interested in the platform uh and also these labs being done online means that more people across the world who cannot attend wwdc for whatever reason uh physically can you know actually Get get a chance at actually being able to talk to some Apple people about about code and questions and stuff like that. Yeah, and also there's like a uh, there's a more interesting aspect of like how the actual video experience built for me watching it because this year they had the ability they built in a web player to copy code every time a code sample was on screen it would link you to where it is in the documentation and you could copy it. Which is way more interesting than being like watching being in person or whatever, right? And being like, oh shit, let me write this down so I remember later. <laughs> let me type this up. Yeah, it's like, yeah, definitely a better experience overall. Uh, and, the, and the talks are much shorter, right? Uh, because they are pre- so much like they're paced better because these are all pre-recorded. And obviously, presenters uh, presenters had time to practice their practice their presentations. They're well, I, like I've I've watched a bunch of these talks, and I have none of these. None, all of them were like well, like well presented, and like the the, the presenter was comfortable uh, with the material, and like it felt like yeah, they obviously had practice with it, right? Like it felt it didn't feel like you're doing a live presentation because live presentations are always like something unexpected might happen, or like it, it's awkward. Uh, or something like that. Uh, like so, yeah. So, ev- like, if the demo fails, you could always just pause the recording, right, and then like fix it, and then re-record that bit. Yeah, it's like the demo fails. You just try again without having to worry about a live audience, right? It's it's like yeah. Uh, and uh, to be honest, the one of the most of the talks I watched, I didn't really have demos, but like, w- like I would imagine some of them, some of the talks do have demos. Uh, so I would imagine 
that's it's not a problem like it's it's this is much much better i would imagine it's much less probably much less stressful for the people who do these presentations at apple right like it's probably like significantly like ha- not having to worry about a live demo failing like i would imagine that it's like a massive load off these people who, who have to present this stuff so let's get into like the developer stuff i guess so we start with the developer stuff and we'll get into the rest uh so so swift ui is the big thing uh, and so I will let you explain what is happening with SwiftUI because I don't really know what's happening. So explain to me. Uh, uh, so SwiftUI is the thing that I was most excited about because as we've, as it's become known on the show, right? I've been working on Virtual Studio and I paused development for like the past two weeks because I got to the point where the renderer, right? Well, I guess for if you haven't been keeping up Virtual Studio as an app, you throw in a 3D object that maps it to your face. You can render it on a green screen as a background. So you can put it in OBS. So you can be a VTuber without paying the enormous, the absorbent fees for like live 2D or having to set up a VR rig, right? To use um, the VR chat solution, whatever it's called on Windows, to use any of that. So you can do it on your phone. And basically, I got to the point where the render is good. The basic UI of the app's fine. Like, it obviously needs to be cleaned up more. But I was at the point where I needed to go ahead and implement importing files to me. I needed a file picker. And as of the time, file pickers were not native to Swift UI. So I was basically linking to the old way of importing files. And I was writing it. And I'm like, wait, this is really bad. Because I, I shouldn't be relying on an old framework if... If I want to make this a cross-platform app, right? Because then I would have to, for macOS, I'd have to go in and I would have to rewrite the file picker to be a macOS version and, you know, so on and so forth. So I would hold off because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I had an inkling that Apple was going to make file-based apps a thing this year, which they did. <laughs> but they also did some bigger changes that are going to have me doing some more rewrites, but I'm pretty happy to do because they essentially broke out SwiftUI into an app scene view model. And what that means is you have an app and in your app, you have multiple scenes. And in your scenes, you have views. And how that actually translates is, let's say I want to load in my um, main page. That's going to be a scene. The page that lets you either go to the file picker or preview it is a scene. And then the view is the actual like the rendering view or the file picker view, right? And that's how you basically do it. And for an iPhone app, it's not really important to do it that way because a view and a scene is a window, right? It's like a scene is a window on iPadOS or macOS or full screen window on iOS. And the reason that you might want multiple scenes in your app is because you have an app that's multi-window, as you would do on a desktop operating system. So I would, in theory, would be breaking out Virtual Studio to have multiple scenes, one scene be the renderer, and one scene be the actual importer, and the main view of the app where you set your 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 sort of um, object that you want to you know actually use when you're rendering out and doing your your stream or whatever. The main reason I want to do that is for memory reasons. Because even different scenes, the system will then render will actually you know create the new window of the render as its own view. And if you close out, it doesn't it it sort of optimizes the app right where it's only if I close out the other window, it doesn't keep any of that in memory. It'll only like ever sort of keep in memory the renderer while it's active just because of the architecture of it and then also would allow you to have multiple instances of the importer open if you just i don't know i don't know why you would but i'm not going to limit people right because it doesn't break anything down multiple instances of it open and that's really interesting because it also means that you get that same behavior on WatchOS and ios if you were to do it which kind of makes me think that going along there might be a time where multi-window might become a thing on phones because it, it, it this has structuring this oh. out this way that's, I mean, that's I, that's probably a long way away, but like, yeah. yeah uh, because, it, basically, any app that implements this would get multi-window for free on a phone if they ever brought it to the phone. No changes would have to be made because it already multi-window on iPad and macOS. And then also, they did bring a new feature called If macOS, which basically lets you do only certain things if you're on a Mac. And why would you want to do that? 
mainly for preferences, right? Like on iOS, I, my preferences are going to be in the settings app, right? Where where like you scroll down and that's how you can change preferences. Whereas on macOS, obviously, I wouldn't I would want it to be a native preference option in the menu bar. So that's basically it. Or like spacing changes, right? If I want like it to be maybe tighter information density or maybe a little bit more looser on Mac, I could do that. Yeah, easily. yeah, that's the thing. You can do like the, the Mac is. Like the screen is different size and different. Yeah, like he's you. basically okay. unifies the entry point for the app. He's right now in Virtual Studio right now. I have a Mac project, an iPhone project, and a watch project. The watch version just for fun, just to render out the the object to the watch for funsies. It's never going to ship, but it exists. Well, right now it's just one Swift file that I have all three platforms launching from. Right, rather than having to have a Mac launcher Swift file and an iOS launcher Swift file, so it just makes that you cleaner to do it. I'm more than happy to rewrite that to have one entry point. That's yeah. That's definitely gonna make it easier to like you know like me make it easier to like have these Swift UI apps be on multiple platforms. Like yeah, you know. it just it, there's, you don't have to do any more. Like it just makes it far quicker to do less platform specific stuff. So and of course you now also get the file picker native, which I'm very happy about. So because that'll work on macOS and iOS. Yeah, I saw that. I saw, I saw the file picker. Yeah. The last thing that I want to talk about is ARKit four has support for now doing face tracking without a face id camera and you might think to yourself don't you need an iphone 8 you need a phone with an a12 processor so that is the ipad airs the iphone se iphone um maybe the no i think it's just the new se the new se is the only phone right now but um as we'll talk about later this also may include i don't know laptops that happen to feature um arm processors in them because i have been testing doing face tracking on a mac right to try and get a Mac version running. Do you know what's really slow? Non-accelerated machine learning models. That is oh, horribly... Like, there's a reason that on a PC, you need like a 2080 Ti to get like RTX voice running very nicely while you're playing a game, right? Without making performance slow. Because it has dedicated um, co-processors for that. Whereas Intel chips, some of like the new 14th gen one have like deep, deep machine deep l whatever they call it pro- like coprocessors or like instruction sets but it's nothing like having a dedicated coprocessor on a phone right that does machine learning that um ios and android qualcomm and snapdragon processors now have so it it makes this being cross-platform a lot nicer because i'm also not writing multiple impl- um implementations of the face tracking code right yeah 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 you can you can rely on the yeah because i basically uh, have to like write a machine learning like vision kit version of it that does the regular face tracking and just strictly you know using like a machine learning model and then i also have to write the ar kit renderer version of it whereas now i can have one and i guess sorry intel users but i'm really not gonna try to optimize performance for an intel integrated gpu to try and get the vtuber renderer to run at 60 frames per second on that it's not it's not just not going to happen on an intel-based chip so so it's like i'm reading a description of the talk and like about location anchors uh which are, appear to be like like you connect virtual objects to like real world uh longitude latitude and altitude it's also it's also networking based too so think about it like this i go to your house and i want to go ahead and place an ar kit object of a giant cat statue right in front of your house i then take that identifier data i can put it on my server and anyone connected to your um to the to the apps you know whatever service i offer whenever they download that it'll be physically positioned in the same space perfectly for everyone based off of gps data and triangulating it with the visual data and then also the more users that are around, the better the mapping gets because more people are sending data back to the to the main bundle, right? So it's sort of like it can build a better set. Because think about how ARKit works. It scans it scans an area and then it maps that out and it caches it. 
But the more people from different angles, right, that are scanning that data, the more precise it gets because you're cross-referencing different sets of data. Right, 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 right. And also, I think they talk about the LiDAR scanner on the iPad Pro, which, I mean, that's a very, I feel like that's a very niche uh, sensor at this point. Right? Yeah, it's really only used for people occlusion and maybe some other stuff. Like, it's really, like, the reason, so the reasons I would care about ever doing ARKit on the back camera, because I think I've told you on Mass on before, right, where it's like, in theory, I can do motion capture pretty easily using a reality kit and an iPad Pro. Because with the LiDAR, what it does is that it um, approximates joints and bones. And you can do the same the same face mapping I'm doing for face animations. I could place your anime girl over your actual body in real space and then and then short and then basically like have you do mocap for without having without actually programming the mocap like joints and like yeah without programming yourself. it because the system will automatically be like it'll be like oh this is an arm this is an arm on a 3d model when i move it it moves in real time right because it's all frame-based processing right like the entire way ar kit works is you just basically obviously right it's the same thing like a game where i need to make sure all my computations are done in under 16 milliseconds or i guess on an ipad whatever 120 hertz would be that many milliseconds right but it's basically you're saying every frame capture all of this joint data, or in my case, I capture all the face data and I do what's called a blend shape where I then go ahead and change the object to be that position, right? Oh, okay. Okay. That's, 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 that's really cool, actually. Like, I mean, the LiDAR scanner is obviously not like available to most people because it is not a, it is not possibly the most expensive iOS device. Uh, so like, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's like, it's really cool. I have been thinking about maybe trying to go down that path once I get a version one working, because in theory, you could then like, I could also just put you over a green screen background, right? Because like, I, I could do the same thing I'm doing in with the uh, virtual studio front end or front camera view and put it on the back camera. And then you could shoot like your own anime music videos or whatever, right? Without actually, without actually needing to have any of like a unity, you know, thing set up it's just sort of like there's actually ways that this being able to do this stuff and writing an app that does it would actually make this far more accessible to people right it might not be as good as having the actual lights and dots on your face right but it's good enough like virtual studio right now with is good enough especially compared to like how spec of a pc you need to have to run yeah yeah that's that's what I, that's that's the, that's the real that's the real deal there it's 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 about not having the expensive hardware i mean like it's yeah you have to have this at least a base level of ios device that has like the yeah you basically need like an se but that's a 400 hundred dollar phone whereas where if you had a pc you need something like so like if i want to do obs like a two thousand five thousand i need PC. your pc <laughs> basically right and you need my pc yeah basically you because it's PC, also yes, think about it you're encoding video you're also doing rendering out a face view on top of the game right and then you're also doing a stream at all in the same time right and that just gets super computationally expensive whereas if you can offload sort of just the actual the vtuber part of it right to a separate device and just capture the screen and throw it in your obs thing as a as a window or whatever a view then it just makes it far easier to do so let's let's talk about uh let's talk about ios and ipad os uh surprisingly i think uh maybe not surprisingly but ios and ipad os 14 as as it is gonna be is it's not as big of a release as it seems right like it it sort of felt like ios and ipad os are not the biggest things this year I don't know. I don't know. I, I just had this feeling, even though there are some like important features that are coming to like iOS. It's stable. That's the thing. So I did install the iOS 14 beta, and it's literally the features we're going to talk about 
imagine those somewhat unfinished with the current stability and speed of the of this of the current ios version which is what you want honestly right out of a beta yeah uh so let's start with the features and the biggest changes this year are on the home screen hello home screen the springboard is getting some love hello android froyo and android froyo so what what is happening we have widgets we have fucking widgets we have widgets in three different sizes small medium and large so it's it's two by two grids, right? Uh, two by four grids when on the on the medium size, right? And then the and the big one is what like a four by like four by two, four by four. Uh, so actually, no, no, no. This these are only these are not interactive. So this is Windows Phone. We brought live tiles to iOS. This is yeah. This is not yeah. So so this is the real thing. Is it's not Android actually? It's actually like the like the live tiles, right? Like live tiles from uh, Windows Mobile, right? Um, and so they they showed off like the, obviously the weather widget, uh, like the music widget, right? Uh, the the widget that shows your device, like the device's battery life. Like if you have a watch, it'll show like the watch's battery. Also, life. Bluetooth pair devices, yeah, it'll show yeah, them there. Yeah. Yeah, so you can you can arrange you can arrange them not however you want. It still has to align to the grid, right? Um, and obviously, it has to be. Like it will, like you can't just put it, like you can't just have like a like a layout of like a like a. You can't just free layout it, right? Like obviously, it's still gonna be sticking to corners, like left corner, right? I mean, you could hack it and get a transparent widget, and then also <laughs> play that game. The, the interesting thing about the widgets too is so right. They obviously display information, they update in real time, and they have a stack feature, which is just like uh, it, the system will guess which is the most important widget to see at one time. But how they're built, I think, is very interesting because they're built like a watch complication. You essentially, they're made in Swift UI and you essentially define a timeline in code. And every, like, according to the timeline, the system will go ahead and re render your widget. And it doesn't even, it doesn't follow the timeline exactly. It just assumes where on the timeline are we at? What, what version of this widget should I show? That's, that seems potentially going to cause a lot of bugs in these first iterations of the widgets. But it also means uh, they're super <laughs> lightweight to render, right? And they don't impact memory at all because they're cached. These are cached Swift UI views that'll then just be displayed. Right, 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 right. So they're going to be at least performant. Uh, and so and the thing that actually is interesting is to me is that they are non-interactable. So there is a very limited amount of things that you can actually do with these, right? Like it feels like the set of... So what happens if you tap on one of these? Like what happens if you like it launches you straight into the app and it can launch you to the view. Like for example, if you are playing music and you have that song playing, it'll bring you to the now playing screen on like Spotify. So you can at least do deep links through it. Okay, you can do deep links. Okay, that's that's fine. Um I'm curious about the smart stack if it's going to be actually useful and not like like the Siri screen on the watch, uh which is completely useless. Uh like I hope it's useful because Apple always like tries to be like, hey, we 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 have machine learning to on our device to do these things, and I'm like, it's it's not useful for me, sorry. Uh, but like I like I hope it's good. Like I hope it's like gonna be like, hey, you want to check? You always check the weather at this time. Hey, here's the weather. Uh, I mean that'll be nice. Uh, what I like, I'm I'm not like particularly excited for this, but it's it's fine. It's it's okay. It's all right. Also, but the 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 stuff is the other stuff to the home screen is more important. I feel like so you now on iOS 13 when you go to delete an app, you get two options: delete from device or remove from home screen. 
And this is the good stuff because instead of having 10 pages of actual apps, you can just start deleting pages and only have them show up what's called the app library, which is basically like the all apps list on Android. So you can have like one home screen with some widgets and the most important stuff and throw everything else in the app library. You put everything else. That's what I'm going to do when this comes out. I'm going to put uh, everything that's not on my home screen to the app library. So, you know what? Bye bye all the rest of this. Bye bye my second home, my second screen, which I never, right. Uh, this is, I mean, Android users are like, Haha, there you go. There, there's, there's our, uh, there's your uh, app drawer. Uh, but the thing is, is, it's sort of an app drawer, but also it's not that customizable. You can't customize the categories. You can't rename them. Uh, and it but you dis- can't get an all apps list that's alphabetical, though, if you want. You can't show it that it, way. Okay, that's at least, like, that's okay. And you can search it, too, as as well, right? Uh, which is fine. I wish you could rearrange the categories because it, it picks the categories for you and it's not very accurate at picking categories. It's the same thing as, like, folder names, basically. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the folder names, basically. And it's, it's not the greatest, but at least now I don't have, like... I think one of the themes uh, when they were talking about the app library is that people have so many apps. They have, they installed the entire app store on their phone. And I'm like, do people really do that? Do people have that many apps that they forget about? I, I guess. I mean, um, uh, I can, I can tell you based off of looking at people's iPhones that I've worked with before or family members' iPhones. Bro, it's all free to play games. <laughs> it's app pages of free to play oh, games. Oh. I I I, I judiciously un- uninstall apps that I don't need. You are uh, in the minority. I, have, I just you. I'm the minority. I clearly I'm in the minority. Like I'm obviously in the minority. It's pretty obvious that when Apple is making this feature uh, and presenting it in the keynote, they're clearly like, targeting the majority of users. Though I should say, I should say, I would rather have taken copying Android's notification center over over this. Just gonna put that out there. Oh, over the yeah, I would I would have taken that instead. But you know what? Baby steps, uh, <laughs> baby steps, uh, because Apple is always very hesitant to modify the very basic framework of the Springboard UI. Like it's it's always been very they're very conservative with that. It's uh. So this is the biggest change in years, literally, for the iPhone, right? Uh, so since they removed like the home button, I feel like this has been the biggest change since then. Uh, and one other thing is picture in picture on iPhones is a, is gonna be a thing, uh, which is, I mean, all right, I mean, sure. Let's, let's get this right. Picture in picture, unless you pay for YouTube, you have to pay for YouTube Premium if you want YouTube in picture in picture because Google turns it off, even though it's a system API. Yeah, picture in picture though for like Netflix and other stuff and Twitch. Oh, actually, you can picture in picture with FaceTime calls. So I think I guess that's that's useful. I would I would think that's useful, right? Like having picture in picture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, um, let's say you and the homies are in a FaceTime group call watching that Overwatch League. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean it's fine. It's just it's just they're bringing parity with the iPad version. Like iPad already had picture in picture right so they're just you know uh i mean yeah ultimately like being able to still watch a video while you're texting someone is still like a nice feature to have yeah it's it's, it's fine it's fine um android users are like haha another one um android users are having uh, a field year with with all these features yeah too bad uh we get it without having to buy a new phone um what what's uh (laughs) what's the next feature (laughs) that's now that you're pissed off every android user uh let's talk about uh, what is what is it search uh, search on the uh, iPad, iPad, right? It looks like Spotlight, iPad. basically. Uh, it's like Spotlight. Yeah, I was about to say it's just Spotlight, right? And okay, I mean that's that's good. Spotlight is has always been one of the 
Mac OS features that I like the like the most because it is nice. Unlike and, Windows Search, that uh, people people apparently just turn off indexing for Windows Search now. I've been told because it uses so much resources. Well, um, I mean. I have a ridiculous PC, so maybe I don't notice it. But like, I would imagine if you have a lower end PC, it, it is noticeable. Uh, and they are apparently optimizing it. Uh, on, on so they, are, I think on the latest build of Windows, they have optimized. It, I'm pretty sure. I, I am not sure actually. I for, forget the details on build 2004. Uh, exciting names. Uh, so that's like search is just uh, it's gonna it's it is like I wish this was on iOS like on on the iPhone but it's not like I I don't know I mean like, how would you bring it up it'd be like a gesture or something to bring up universals like it's that's true that's that's yeah I probably can't actually work. you can like, just include it in the, the multitasking universe. menu right like a persistent search bar at the mm, top there I don't like that I really don't like it because it sort of overloads the multitasking menu a little bit I I'm not a big fan I only of bring that. it up because that's uh, how WebOS did it and WebOS did yeah. everything right. Uh, except cell phones, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> except existing, you know. <laughs> true, true, true. Uh, sorry, rest in peace, WebOS. Um, yeah, so it is nice to have it on the iPad. Like, I'm curious what it's going to feel to use. I have an iPad, and not an iPad Pro, but, you know, it is still an iPad. This also looks like it works far better for keyboard than the uh, previous search UI. It, it does look much better. Like, it, the layout looks more more like more like a Mac app in some ways. Uh, so that's that's good. Uh, let's talk about, um, do we want to talk about iPad app designs? Is that useful? No, let's just, let's give a case of it. There's a new translate app. Um, translate. Okay. This is, this is the one that I, uh, yeah, this is very good. Um, this is, this is in, in, in a long time, this is a new pre-installed app, right? Uh, which is called translate, which offers, uh, translation, uh, via either the micro, like, like a voice, Based input or or text like typed text input. Also, Safari can translate web pages too with this. Yes, uh, it it is used for this one. The app is used for like translating conversations with like a side by side view that shows uh, both languages at once in a like a, in a, a simple, easy to understand layout. Right, uh, and also the the big thing for me is the app works entirely offline after you download the uh, I guess the language data files. Uh, that you need, right? And you can use the on-device machine learning to keep translated conversations private. Guess what this means? It means that I don't have to use Google Translate anymore uh, on my phone. Well, I mean, uh, well, actually, does it support <laughs> the languages you translate to? Uh, no. Uh, well, <laughs> mostly, I mean, yes, sort of like mostly, most of the time, actually, it's French that I'm translating. So it, it does support French to English and English to French. So it's because there are a lot of Mastodon users that speak French and sometimes want to translate their posts. Uh, well, my thing is, I'm 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 more interested in the quality of it because so English to English like Romance languages are usually pretty fine, really. English, Spanish, Spanish, English isn't that bad. But we have Mandarin, and then we also have Korean and Japanese, and those are the ones. And Arabic as well. I'm curious about the Arabic translations, like uh, like how like Korean as well, especially Korean because obviously a lot of Overwatch League stuff happens in Korean, right? So, for example, if I like pull up like a like Korean. Like a like a Korean player posting something in Korean on Twitter or something like that, right? And I want to like translate that in from Safari. Like, how good is that going to be? Like, yeah, that- yeah. Because usually you have like DeepL or um, DeepL. Is that it? Yeah, DeepL is the name of the app that for translating is pretty good for English to Asian languages. But I want to see if this is as good as that. If like this is going to be good for those VTuber streams. Yes, but yeah, I'm I'm curious how good it's going to be with English to Mandarin or English to Korean or English English to. 
Arabic. Like, I'm curious about the Arabic translations as Actually, well. Actually, how is Arabic? Is it, you speak, do you speak? I know you've told me you know a little bit of Arabic. Are you? I don't speak Arabic. I don't understand Arabic. Uh, I'm just curious because Arabic is, is significantly different enough from the, the Romance languages that, like, translation can be, uh, difficult uh it's it's just like you know translating from english to korean or english to mandarin uh the languages are very different in structure and 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 tone and a lot of other things that linguists know about uh if you're a linguist please add me with with what i'm I'm trying to explain here but these languages are significantly different enough that where it would be difficult to translate and i'm curious how the machine can like how the machine learning algorithms are are like how good are they like i'm curious about that also i'd like to throw my hat in the ring if you are someone who speaks many languages and have if you're the kind of person who goes on many mastodon posts like like just two threads about languages please please wrote me in on this because those are hella interesting yeah if you are if you are a linguist if you are a linguist and you know about languages and translations and or if you're a translator if you translate for example from uh, mandarin to english or english to mandarin and or korean or arabic uh, I don't know if if we have listeners like that, but you know, if you are that kind of person, feel free to talk to us. Is this something you are interested in? I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. Uh, is this maybe something on your radar? Like, yeah, just talk to us. Like, how hard is it to translate from English to Korean or English to Arabic? Uh, so, so that's. I mean, I I was actually pretty happy that this is a thing. Like, I I think this is a good thing for apple to focus on and especially the, the feature where it, is, it works offline is really fucking fucking cool uh and especially not setting the setting the like input to a server is is actually pretty pretty cool um what so we talk about do we want to talk, we, i should i think we should talk about messages because we absolutely we absolutely want to talk about messages because yo <laughs> it is time my friends for chat up discourse it has been 15 years and um no but i don't know what the fuck was that voice okay so we have messages here and i'm just gonna outright say it with this design this is the best ui for a person-to-person a group chat messaging platform for a group chats under 10 people just like this is better than telegram better than um uh, signal and how the ui is mainly for the reason of pin chats great feature where basically you can go ahead and now um pin a person to the top and it will also notify you like if they have new messages from them it'll prioritize messages from them is a great i would suggest you look at the screenshots because it's far easier to view them than maybe explain them yeah definitely there's going to be a link there we can see the screenshots of how it looks but also you get messaging of people or, me- or mentioning of people rather. And the thing about this is you don't have to do an ad. You just me- type in someone's name and it will say, hey, do you just tap this if you want to go ahead and mention them? It was just the right way to do things. We no longer live in IRC days. You know, I don't need to add someone. Actually, no, I'm a liar. IRC had mentioning without using the at symbol. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's Twitter that makes the ad. And Discord like, too. Uh- and Slack and yes, uh, stuff like that. No ad symbol required, right? Which is in it's called inline replies in a group conversation. And you can do threading in a group really conversation. Cool, actually, I, I like I like that a lot. I I, I really like that. I don't do, I don't do I don't have a lot of group chats in iMessage. I basically have just the one thing. Uh, but you know, it's nice. It's nice to have that. Uh, no, iMessage iMessage group chats can get very very unmanageable if um if you don't you know turn on do not disturb for them so all these features are great. yeah yeah especially larger group chats with more like more than like three or four people yeah uh emoji search is here at last um i uh, this is good because 
I can never find the right emoji when I'm looking in the emoji picker because I don't know the layout. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe like I could just search a thing and I can find the emoji. Imagine that. Yeah. Like, like sometimes, sometimes I want the sarcastic okay hands if someone's being silly on my timeline. I want to get them the fuck off. And then other times I want to use a check mark if you know it's something I really agree with. Yeah. You know, the right emoji for the right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then also I should say for group chats as well, I do want to mention that they have a smart, like new header for it that basically changes the size of the person and the, um, cause basically the, how MSs work, a group chat, It'll show you the um, avatars of all the people in the group chat in like a circle, and it changes the size of them depending on who messaged recently. So it's a good visual indicator of who's talking. Like for example, I'm in a group chat, and we have that one person I don't care about, like whatever they say. And I'm looking at my phone, and I see the icon for it, and I'm like, oh, this person's face is really big. I'm just going <laughs> to ignore these notifications. I'm now more easily able to ignore what this person who I might not like that much is saying, and. Do not judge me for this piece. We're all in group chats like that. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm I'm just yeah, that's that makes sense. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice uh quality of life improvement. Like these are like small quality of life improvements. Some of them are definitely bigger UI changes. Like obviously the pinned conversation thing is is a big deal. The mentions thing is is a big thing. But some of these are just like small quality of life improvements, which is what you want from a stable chat app, right? You don't want it to be radically different. You just want it to like be slightly better, which I think Telegram is successful at. Pretty much, I think since the Telegram. Um, do you want to talk about app clips? Is app clips a thing we care about? Is, app uh, clips are like Android slices, and that no one will ever use them. And apparently, they exist, but I have not seen an implementation of them. Yeah, I'm like, this is a thing that they're trying, but like, I, I yeah, it's gonna be like, uh, how many people are gonna like, how many co- companies are gonna actually try using them? So I guess we just explain. App clips are basically small apps that you don't have to install. You can kind of load them on the fly that lets you do like single purpose functionality, like paying for a parking meter. Do you know what works better than an app clip? A website. A website. A fucking website, bro. A website with html and css and javascript imagine that uh actually sorry sorry no javascript we're um i think if i'm checking the mastodon hoa charter we're apparently anti-javascript this week (laughs) um anyways the maps is another feature um i don't really care about maps that much because it's ev oh wait no 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 hold 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 up uh, the the Canada is getting the new maps, which is uh, why only the only reason I care about maps this year. Is uh, sorry, let me go ahead and grab um, okay, Google Play, oh Canada, isn't it the theme song for Canada, right? Where it's like, oh Mother Canada or something like that, that's, right? That's uh, that's that's about that's about right. Uh, if you know what the Canadian theme song is, please it's, add it's me. Ca- it's it's ca- it's the the national anthem is oh Canada, yes. Um. Yeah, so the um, I'll quickly mention this is that it, the new in-house maps will be coming to uh, the UK, Ireland, and Canada. There's also going to be uh, bike directions, but that's also in only in a few cities. It's going to be uh, uh, New York City, Los Angeles, bike directions in the same cities that have a Trader Joe's in them. <laughs> San Francisco, uh, Bay Area, Shanghai, and Beijing. And I don't think Shanghai and Beijing have uh, Trader Joe's, but uh, they are big markets for apple so i imagine that's why and a lot of people use bikes in shanghai and beijing so that makes sense um i hope other cities are added i hope toronto is added you know sure uh more cities please uh that's fine uh shortcuts do we i uh, do we care about shortcuts uh changes i don't th- i 
Uh, shortcuts have folder support now, so Federico's happy. Nothing really important there. Um, HomeKit, <laughs> nothing new happened in HomeKit, actually. It's just that Apple re-announced that they're part of the HomeKit alliance that they announced the year back called Chip. Um, horrible name. Um, we could skip through that. The activity app got rebranded as Fitness, which is whatever, because now it just has a redesign that looks pretty cool, but it's nothing really new. Music has a sidebar, an iPad, and a brand new full screen now playing view that looks kind of cool. Whatever. It looks like Spotify now. It, it just looks like Spotify. Reminders uh, has that? a uh, has new icons, and let's skip to let's let's because we Siri. Let's talk about the new Siri view. <laughs> oh, let's talk about Siri. Siri is now an orb. She's an orb now. <laughs> Praise the orb. She's just an orb. <laughs> she's Siri's an orb now. Literally, she's just a little circle on the bottom of your screen. She doesn't uh, become a full screen app, right? When you when you like say say the phrase right i'm not saying the phrase obviously for obvious reasons uh like if when you say the phrase it'll just pop up on the bottom of your screen i imagine and you'll be able to interact from there and not be like a full like you wouldn't take up the whole ui which is which is good and and another thing that it did is calls no longer take up the full ui thank the fucking lord uh is that when you get a call on an iphone it takes up the full ui which is extremely obnoxious right um and like now it'll just be a normal notification thank god uh which is another thing that they're doing uh so that, that that's 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 good siri, siri is gonna they didn't really talk about siri like they were like siri has more facts uh i was like okay i mean okay sure i mean okay mark zuckerberg <laughs> okay talking about your facts <laughs> yeah I, I like i don't care if it has more facts that's not really a useful thing like i'm not here spouting facts to people that okay um sure uh apple pencil just exposed herself for the timeline geez not spouting facts to people static exposed my four-hour youtube video is now live um on the new ipad pro features where you can scribble on text boxes it's actually pretty cool it's actually a nice feature actually it's a, that's a pretty cool uh improvement like it's a quality of life yes yeah, so like say there's Definitely. a text box right like a like you're in your chat app or say you're actually you can hand write shit post on the timeline now right he's on a text box Ooh. instead of typing it out i can just write out fuck debian right instead of typing out fuck debian which <laughs> makes it more effective as a post <laughs> And it it will it will do its 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 machine learning thing and you know trans transcribe the scribbles into actual uh, text input right so uh, it's it's pretty cool it's neat it's obviously you know if you prefer to if you prefer to just you know instead of ha- when you're using the pencil you don't have to switch modes into keyboard when you want to type into a text field it's that that's basically you, don't, you can just stay in the flow you know uh, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care about car play and car keys, so I think like uh, default apps. Yes, that's that's the. I feel like this is the last thing, but it's like also the what it's low key the biggest thing. They didn't even mention it in the keynote, right? Like it's low key one of the biggest things coming this year. It's also only email and web browsers. You can change your default. It's to. only email and web browsers, but like holy shit! Finally, uh, it's like you can set third party apps as default when you tap links on iOS and iPadOS. 14 uh like holy like they have finally relented thank the god thank lord like i can i can finally be able to like just launch firefox instead of safari uh so you know important distinction um you launch firefox it's still safari on the back end because you can't use a custom web renderer i mean yes but like i can get my fire i can get my firefox features like syncing my tabs from my desktop you know which is good because I can that means I can easily share share links uh, between my phone and my and my desktop. 
so, so that's the thing. Uh, I think that's basically it, right? Like I mentioned the compact incoming calls thing, which is, which is a good feature. Uh, yeah, overall, that's basically it. It is a smaller feature release, but it's pretty, it's stable on the first beta, which is what I want. Uh, one thing. One thing I want to talk about is is the encrypted DNS thing quickly is uh, so encrypted DNS basically is DNS over HTTPS or DNS over TLS, which basically means to to have a like a high level overview of this is that it's basically protocols that when you send a DNS query, for example, for two shades of brown dot com, and you, when you when you send that query to your your the DNS resolver, it will be sent in a in transcript uh, not transcript uh, a transport that is encrypted, right? Like so, it is it, it prevents man in the middle attacks. Uh, and and iOS fourteen and iPadOS fourteen are gonna support both like both of these encrypted DNS transport protocols uh, natively. Uh, like for the system, like at a system level, you can set it per network, and also apps can set it set their own resolvers for themselves when they use certain APIs. Uh, they can set the values there, uh, which I which is like this is a very good implementation. If you want more details, I'm not going to go into more details here because it is it is a very fairly technical topic, and we want to you know keep this podcast under two hours, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, so. Go watch the video on it, and they they, they go into what, what what it is and how it works. Uh, do we want to talk about this fucking conspiracy theory bullshit, or uh, <laughs> do you? Okay, yeah, let's mention this conspiracy. The conspiracy theory bullshit is basically all right. 4K YouTube works kind of on iOS 14 and iPadOS and tvOS 14. We're not talking about tvOS because once again, LOL tvOS. I don't know. I don't know what team is more lackluster. The Android TV folks or the tvOS folks are in a pissing match of each other. But so VP9 is a video codec that Google uses um, for 4K YouTube only. And recently they have now started encoding newer upcodes, sorry, newer uploads in AV1. But iOS 14 plays some 4K YouTube videos. Some by those have been uploaded within the past year. I've noticed it plays more often than not. But when you go to stats for nerds, it says VP9. But they don't support VP9 because they support a VP9 every 4K YouTube video would play, right? So my theory is Google is wrapping VP9 as like, you know, MKV, right? Is a container that can have different actual video codecs. Yes. Uh, MKV is just, uh, is just, uh, MKV is just a container format for any kind of uh, other like video. Yeah. Code. So I'm thinking that Google wraps all their videos in VP9 for compatibility, but sometimes they'll serve an AV1 encode in that VP9 wrapper. And that's how UP is. Google has not updated YouTube for iOS 14, right? And somehow you're getting 4K out of the box without the existing YouTube app. So that's why I'm thinking that it's AV1. And and Apple has pointedly refused to answer questions on this matter, uh, to for clarification. Uh, on the Vergecast, Nilay Patel mentioned that they asked Apple and they refused to answer the questions. Uh, so I'm guessing I'm my. It's, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think it's whatever is happening here is not final. It's not final finalized builds or finalized uh, functions or finalized uh, like how it's not and, and, like the whole thing is not like complete yet. So which is why they don't want to talk about it. And this is always an Apple thing that they don't want to talk about things that are like sort of like in sort of flux like that. I would imagine they're probably in 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 conversation with the folks over at the YouTube. Uh, people uh, who do the who manage like encoding and stuff like that probably uh, talking to people over at YouTube, uh, and they probably still. Maybe we should mention too that uh, 
VP9, if it was not, if it was added, you can't like flash a processor to have VP9 hardware encoding, right? Whereas it's likely possible that AV1 has been on the like the actual instruction set, but it's not activated, right? That's more that's more plausible since Apple is a part of the consortium that made AV1 as a spec, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's probably some stuff going on behind the scenes that that is not done yet. So they they want to don't want to talk about it. Uh, I would imagine this is going to be more fleshed out or, or more details are going to be there when this stuff comes out in September. Uh, so I'd imagine watch, wait for that to actually finalize in September. Uh, watch OS um, 7 is a thing. And it's, what is the biggest thing with watch OS? Is it like... They removed force Sleep touch. tracking? It's, oh, the force touch? Nobody cares about force touch, bro. Like, literally. Like, that's why Apple is removing it because it's it's so... So, like I, I never like I will tell you right. Now, I've never used Force Touch on my on my watch. Also, it's a really bad branding when you tell someone to get Force Touch or like the Force Touch something. Yes, right? uh, it's it sounds very bad. It's it's a very bad. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just 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 bad. Just 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 for, let's just forget that it ever existed, and which is what Apple is trying to do here. Uh, it's it's gonna be gone, or rather, they're they're telling developers not to use it anymore. Right? Uh, yeah. And so, so the biggest thing is sleep tracking, right? Sleep tracking is, I think, in my opinion, the biggest feature. And we have, uh, everybody's been like waiting for them to introduce this. Um, we thought it was going to be last year, but I guess it, it wasn't ready until this year. Is uh, There's a new sleep app in watchOS 7, right? Uh, and it integrates, obviously, with the with the health app, right? Um, like, obviously, it's, it's the health APIs going on here, right? Um, you can like have we like you can have like uh, a like a sleep mode right on on your on your display which is fine thank God because you know what I do I put the thing I put the thing in theater mode which 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 makes sure it, the the display doesn't turn on in the middle of the night uh, you know uh, which you know not 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 the optimal path there uh, but yeah so we finally have like wind down which is. Uh, yeah. Which is a feature that will like you know like tell you to go to like uh go, like try to encourage you to go to like bed by like uh, like just dis- turning on do not disturb you know and dimming your device's screen and optionally like you know uh, running shortcuts to play relaxing music changing <laughs> changing the lighting in the house things like that uh, so yeah it's 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 uh, it's cool I'm I'm looking forward to what. Uh, third-party apps like C++ can do with the with the new health data that they're getting from the health app. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what Apple is doing uh, with the with the graphs and presentation uh, and how accurate it is and how how well it works. Uh, I'm curious to see. Uh, what else is a fitness? They added a bunch of. Uh, you can dance now. I miss going to the club, but you can dance now um, and have it tracked. Truthfully, there's it's a smaller release. It drops support for Watch OS one or the series one and series two. Series three is now the minimum supported. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. The series one Apple Watch. Uh, it's been a good run. I'm not surprised that's going away. It's probably like extremely like like all of the features are like dick. like that watch is like hard the hardware de- like deprecation is, is real. David <laughs> underscore David Smith is a very happy person on Twitter when they drop support. They announce they drop support. Yeah, yeah, I would bet. I, I bet. But basically, uh, a lot of the watch OS stuff from a dev perspective is really that most of it's now just completely being moved over to Swift UI. That's what a lot of they've done this this year. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, watch faces can now be shared, which is a thing, right? Uh, it's not custom watch faces, but you know, it's baby steps, as I mentioned. 
What do you mean? Um, it's a custom watch face because you customized your watch face. So of course, you're sure I got custom face. Mm, Isn't that mm, how that works? Fuck you, Apple. <laughs> um, also, a thing that they did, which is very topical, is automatic hand washing detection. So here's my only concern about this. So when you're hand washing, you're flicking your wrist a lot and moving your hands. Now... I really, I, I'm just concerned that there might be other motions of you really moving your wrist that it might be tracking for. Oh, uh, I, I, is it? Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Like, for example, like, for example, you're shearing corn or something like that. And it just kind of, it might say you're washing your hands, you know, because you're flicking your wrist a lot, moving up and down while you're doing that. Speaking of David underscore Smith, he had a, he had a post about the sleep tracking stuff. And he basically was like, yeah, it, it, it's sort of he sort of got Sherlock, but not really, right? Like it's it's like a basically like it's all about presentation and analysis now, not about uh not about ex- actually doing the like doing the crunching on the raw like gyrometer data or whatever the fuck. Yeah, uh, and the, the nice uh, thing too is that a lot of underscore David Smith apps are really good about visualizing data, right? Yes, very good. Sleep plus plus is fantastic. I recommend Sleep plus plus. Um, the Activity plus plus app and also like WatchSmith too is also a really good way. Even if me and you might not agree with all the change, um, all like the design choices, but it's still like objectively a good way of visualizing data on your watch. So I think he's going to be fine. He's also literally the only person who makes watch apps, so Apple probably doesn't want to fuck him over. Yeah, yeah literally, he's the only. <laughs> Who makes like f- like fully functional quality uh, watch OS apps? Uh, re- shout out to D- uh, David David Smith. Uh, go listen to Under the Radar. Uh, I'd recommend uh, Under the Radar if you're interested in uh, David Smith's opinions. I guess uh, it's 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 only thirty minutes, uh, so you know it's it's a good podcast. The tagline is "It's never thirty minutes, or never more than thirty minutes, whatever." <laughs> it's never more than thirty minutes, uh, exactly. So if you if you're looking for a tech podcast that's not three hours long you know uh go listen to <laughs> under the radar <laughs> let's let's talk about mac os uh because yeah this is um if you haven't noticed we've kind of been flying through everything before this mainly because this is where we're going to spend the bulk of the show talking about and i we got we have two areas i want to break up mac os we're going to talk about big sir big sir big sir we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and the design of it and the changes there and then we'll break out into the arm transition so to get started with Big Sur, Big Sur, Big Sur, Big Slur, Big Slurp, this name's horrible. We're actually going to call it Mac OS 11 because that's the new version name. And I think that's a bad choice, not because 11, but because it is the 16th release of modern Mac OS and it should be Mac OS 16. But that is arguing over a number and it really doesn't matter. So what's new in this release is there's a new theme. Let me tell you. This theme looks like a transparent light theme on Discord. <laughs> it's it's it reminds me of that iOS. What is it, iOS seven or like when like everything went like translucent and like like and like it was just flat icons and translucency every fucking everywhere. And what it's it's very like the, like the, the notification UI looks like iOS, right? Basically, it's just iOS. Like it looks Which like isn't a bad thing, but they're removing so much contrast. Like if you look at the menu bar, there are some wallpapers that it's just hard to read the letters on the menu bar because of how transparent it is. Yeah, it's it's uh, they need to change the opacity on that uh, value on that because it's not good for accessibility. Like I I like I'm like that's a very basic thing. It's like 
contrast and legibility is a big thing. And Apple even talks about how you should make your apps contra- have good contrast and legibility, and they have tools in Xcode for that. I think they should, you know, practice what they preach uh, and uh, make 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 it high contrast or make the opacity so it doesn't look trash when you have a wallpaper that's like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, I guess for this theme, actually, I guess maybe you should go first because I'm going to like go off on a design rant for like half an hour. So <laughs> before we get into design, let's talk about like apps and stuff. Like apps are getting redesigned, right? We have a new icon glyph set, right? Uh, yes, a new icon set that looks like the dopest icon set I would find on OMG Ubuntu back when I was 14. <laughs> Uh, so Safari, uh, Safari is getting redesigned. Like every app, every uh, Apple app is getting basically like a like a redesign in this in this new design language. Um, Apple is adding web extension API to Safari, but guess what, folks? You're gonna have to use the Mac App Store. Actually, there's two there's two things about the Web Extension API. So for those who don't know, Web Extension API, it's a API set that's meant to standardize making extensions. Because of course Firefox just have their own way, Chrome has their own way, right? It's like, oh cool, let's make this a proper, you know, set because people like using extensions across all browsers. We give increased security if you have a standard implementation. Great idea. So uh, Safari technically supports web extensions, but let's talk about how. So there are two APIs that you cannot use with web extensions on Safari, and it is all of the ones that allow you to block DNS requests. So you might think to yourself, why would why would I, why would they block DNS like block me from using the API to block DNS requests? Because they want you to make a content blocker using their native APIs. And even better, even better. Now you might think to yourself, oh, you know, whatever. I have an app. Um, let's say I have a dope Overwatch app that you know allows me to look at you know lewd Overwatch images quickly in my web browser. You know, let's say I'm on the subreddit. A post for Zarya comes up. I click it, and all it does is bring me rule thirty four posts about Zarya. You know, it's just great. Or maybe some Brigetti, Brigetti, you know, videos. You know, brings up the Overwatch hub, whatever the kids call it, of all the dope Brigetti videos. And Brigetti rhymes with spaghetti. Anyways, but so so. You go ahead and you want to port it over. You have to run in a co- run in a, co- a command line tool that takes your web extension, you know, JavaScript files, recompiles it into a native Mac app, and then allows you to install it in Safari. And to distribute it, you have to go ahead and pay a hundred dollars a year to have an Apple developer account and put it in the Mac App Store. It supports it. It supports it in the same way that um, that. I don't know, like it supports it in the same way that someone on Mastodon telling me that I just need to install this Python package and I can do this cool thing supports it. There's no pre-compiled binaries. You're telling me to install dev environment and to like compile some code or run some Python code and then I might get the net result. It's not really how that, you know. It's it's not it's not great. Uh it is an imp- it is slow progress as it is seems to be the theme this year is Apple doing baby steps. Uh the other thing I think which is important to talk about is the the the, the, uh, the changes to the or the rather the improvements to the uh, tracking prevention uh, mechanisms in Safari, which is that they are putting a little shield icon and present like if you go to a website and it will say if you click on it it will say how many trackers were prevented from being, you know, doing the tracking at what trackers, like a list of trackers that are on this website, uh, which is like a direct shot at the ad industry. It's just firing a broadside at the ad industry and be like, 
Look at all all these apps. We also forgot. We also forgot to mention on iOS that you can block trackers and apps now. I want to explain how that works really quick because it also comes to Mac apps as well. So you know how your system has like a tracking identifier, right? Or like any, like it's all tracking identifiers. And those are like data SDKs and stuff, right? Because you have to get hardware information from the phone, right? In order to actually get that identifier to generate one. So basically what's going on is that anytime any of those calls are accessed, you have to manually approve that tracking identifier being used. So it also extends out the Mac apps too. Uh. Also, I mean, I mean, we forgot a lot of the privacy stuff from iOS, uh, which is, uh, I don't know if you want to go back into that, but it's, I will, we will talk about, I feel like I want to talk about that when the OS comes out. Like I feel there's a lot of stuff going on in the, yeah, I think we should wait till like the actually comes out. Cause there's also the clipboard stuff and all of that. But yeah, it also is uh, the uh, tracking identifier stuff is going for Mac apps through the Mac app store. So on, on back on Mac OS here, uh, this is, I mean, this Safari feature is, like obviously, I think a net good. Uh, obviously, some people are not going to be happy about it. Namely, uh, people who make money from ads and tracking uh, are not going to be happy about that uh, because it's just sh- naming and shaming them. Uh, right, right, right there. It's just, it's just there. It's just an icon you click, and you can see which uh, which apps which. Uh, which trackers uh, your favorite site is using. You can, you can go to the website and see, you can go to twoshadesofbrown.com and you see we have no trackers. Uh, uh, so, so that's, that's good. Um, what else is there? Messages and maps are getting like new catalyst versions, basically. They're, they're, they're ports of the iOS versions, which is the fine. catalyst is, is, a thing that's getting more uh more things in like it's getting date pickers it's getting like photo editing and like recent documents and home kit and class kit yeah basically like more ios apis are being ported over to catalyst which is a good thing which is which is fine which is fine uh what else so let's talk about the design right let's let's get into the design um i my first opinion is on this is first of all the icons look like hot garbage they look, they look like something, uh, a designer would post on Twitter on their Behance webs, the Behance.net or whatever. Exactly. And it is, it's a dribble mock. It is, it, it, it just looks like a mock, mock, like a mock design that you would post, uh, like, hey, look at my, look at the icons I designed. Look at my portfolio of icons. Uh, and it's like, it looks like baby's first icon design, uh, design set. Uh, and it, they look like icons that have some depth to them, but they look like trash. Like what are those shadows? Like I, I, I have many questions about those They're shadows. Like inverse shadows, that, like it's like yeah, like inverse shadows. Like what the fuck is going on with those shadows? Like I do not like these icons. Uh, I think they look tacky, uh, which is not a, not something you want. Uh, so that's my opinion, mostly. And I, the glyphs are fine. The new icon glyphs are all right. Uh, the translucency, as we mentioned earlier, is not not great in some places, especially for accessibility because of like, contrast and legibility of, of text. Uh, but what do you what What is your hot take about this new design? Like, how are you feeling about this? As you're the Mac user here, I'm not. Uh, so, so how are you feeling? When I first saw this theme. Um, I I like I I first I thought to myself I'm like shit I feel like I used this back on Linux in like 2013 like I feel like I got this off like from someone on IRC like someone was like yo check out my dope theme and I was like oh wow that's kind of cool and then I immediately took it off afterwards because ultimately 
ultimately when it comes to sort of the design of things, they always have a personality to them and sort of it reflects the thinking of those who make it, right? Like if we use, say you use material design on Android, right? Like that is how Matias Duarte thought the phone should be used. It is, there's like this metaphor, sheets of paper and like blocks of color and stuff. And that at least has an opinion to it. But this, it just feels like, it feels like they try to marry the thoughts of like how a regular, how the Mac interface should work with, oh shit, we also should keep this in line with iOS and iPad OS because it comes down to the animation. So like, you know what a Mac, right? Like if you, it's always, there's always this theory of you have a window and that window, things are attached to it, right? Like sheets, buttons and stuff. They get attached to that window as a visual metaphor, right? Where the window sits at the bottom layer and then above it are the things you do on said window or other pop-out windows that are still attached to that main window. Whereas now, if you have a sheet for like the save dialogue, instead of it animating from the top to the bottom and sort of darkening the back of it, it's it, it appears as a modal over the window, like on iOS, which doesn't make sense on a desktop. And then if we look at the spacing of the um, UI elements, that's touchable. Those everything there looks like I could use a touchscreen and I'd be pretty okay accessing those hit those hit targets, which is interesting because it makes me think that they might be moving to putting touch on Macs. Uh, one of the big things that they kept explaining was that the goal of the redesign was to reduce visual complexity and focus the user on the content instead of the OS's Chrome. Which okay, I at first at first I was like okay that makes sense in in some ways, but some applications are chrome right like the chrome is important to the application right it's not an afterthought like like specifically with like pro apps right like pro apps are chrome with some content right like the the, the chrome defines the functionality of the app right like it, I, like logic for example right like if you told me oh we're making everything minimalist so all you can see is more of your timeline at that point i would look at you and i would say no if I wanted to see more of my timeline, I would buy a bigger monitor because having all those knobs accessible at all times is actually what's more important than than how long of the track I can see. Yeah, it's like you are that's that's the chrome the chrome is the chrome provides like the the space for those functions to exist uh, like easily, right? Like those 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 UI elements that perform like per, like functions like editing. So so at first, I'm like, okay, so they want to reduce visual complexity, but that only works for a limited set of apps, right? I mean, it's like, what apps does that work for? Like, is it work for uh, work for the photo viewer? Maybe, maybe, maybe for the music app. But even with the music app, there's a lot of Chrome you need, right? Like, you need the sidebar, right? You need this. You need like de- small details in the in the the now playing bar where you have what track is playing and what how much time is left and uh Syracuse was uh complaining about this on 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 the on the, on the WWC episode of ATP this uh the recent episode uh how like like uh iTunes uh the latest version of iTunes doesn't show the uh show the time remaining on the app you have to hover over it for it to show it and it's a very tiny little thing which is like why is that gone? Like it doesn't give you any benefit. Like sometimes removing, sometimes removing visual complexity and our and our Chrome doesn't actually give you anything in return. It just means that you have now hidden useful information, like in the UI. Like it doesn't actually exactly like like I don't think the the actual colors and the spacing is the problem. I actually think what's more of is just they're hiding things. Like for example. 
Like Safari has a tab overview button. Why doesn't that have a number in it with the amount of tabs? There's a tracker icon. Why doesn't that tracker icon have the number of trackers that are being hidden, right? Like you can add it. The, the whole entire purpose of a, of a, like a WIMP interface, right? Is to add complexity, complexity because the interface needs it in order to be more productive, right? Like the input method begets an interface that begets more complexity because of the precision that it allows you to have of a keyboard and mouse input. Like if it's on a, on a touchscreen, it makes sense not to have that because your finger is going to be obscuring it. But whereas when you're pointing to it with a mouse, it's okay to introduce more complex, complexity to it because that's the entire point of, right? People buy as we'll talk about later with ARM stuff, people buy computers of mouse and keyboards because they want to do things more better than they would on a... on a Or, or rather, they want that information density. Like, they want that information to be available front and center and not have to click... The, not have to, like, click a billion little sub-menus to get to the information, right? Like, not have to hover. Like, hovering over... Like, okay. Uh, it's like, I'm going to go on a Syracuse-style rant now. But, like... This is... No, we, we, have, we have yelled we have yelled about this since the two, 2013 Gmail redesign that hid everything, all the text labels as, as icons. Right, all the text labels are gone. And, like, why? Why are the text labels gone? What have I gained from losing the text labels? Like, what is... What have I gained? Nothing. I've gained... I've, I've lost information here like i've actually just lost ui like information in the ui that helps me use the ui like it's just i it's just doing minimalism for minimalism's sake right like that's the the problem with i have with this design methodology is that it is just doing methodology like it's just making apps look good but not actually adding any functional it's 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 what people used to complain about with apple is that they're doing form over function and this is what form of a function looks like. This is this is form of a function when it comes to UI design. Like it's just making the app look like, oh yeah, we are presenting the content up front. But uh, if, you, if you want to do anything with the content, you have to uh, you have to hover over all these menus and you have to like not present because we don't want to clutter the UI. Right. And ultimately, ultimately though, I do think that at least that issue is remedy is, is it has easily remediable, right? You just add more complexity to it rather than, because ultimately at its core, this redesign, like sort of how windows look and how the title bars are now, I actually don't think that's bad, right? Like how it's more, even if it's more iOS like, like you, firstly, iOS doesn't have a bad design to begin with because iPad OS can get pretty complex, especially with the new sidebar views. And I think they're not doing, it's not bad there. It's just more of like, just add more density, add more information to these windows, and I think we'll be fine. And also change those fucking icons. <laughs> but like, I think it's one of the things I'll probably end up getting used to it. Like when I upgrade, because I'll, there's, they, they at least didn't like, there's no breaking changes like there were on Catalina on this one. It supports like, the same, at least on Intel Max, the same as Catalina and, you know, 32-bit support's already gone. So, like, it's it's okay. It's fine. You know, like, ultimately, it's still not as bad as I think material design can get. And it's definitely, at least, you know, we should commend Apple. They're at least shipping a redesign, unlike Microsoft and Fluent Design, which how many years now have they announced they're going to redesign Windows to be in Fluent Design and we've seen nothing? How many years has it been? Uh, I, I, I've i lost count. I, I, I forgot for a flow design is even a thing. I have, you have to remind me every time that all right, flow design is. But so, so it's fine. It's like, it's not the worst redesign, right? It's still like, at least it's not pinstripes, right? <laughs> like that was bad. Oh uh, yeah. At least it's not skeuomorphism again. I, I, I really, I mean, I, nobody wants skeuomorphism again. It seems, I mean, 
yeah, skeuomorphism. Uh, we can. We don't want to go into that. That's a whole discussion by itself. But yeah, we got. We got. We got. We have bigger things to talk about. We have bigger things to talk about. Like for example, the architecture transition for Max, uh, which there. So you can get plenty of hot takes about this, right? So I actually, I want to. I think we should focus this on three areas: gaming, booting, and maybe just an overview of performance, like just actual, just regular CPU performance. Okay. Uh, so so first, the high-level overview is that Apple announced at, at WWDC that they have uh, they are going to transition Macs to uh, Apple. Uh, they're calling it Apple Silicon, but it is just ARM chips. They're ARM chips that they designed the A, A series of chips, you know, the A12X. Uh, there is uh, going to be a two-year transition period, right? Uh, there is a developer transition kit, which is a Mac Mini with uh, with uh, A12x processor in it, which you, which you have to apply for it. If you're like a Mac OS developer, you can apply for it and get uh, a developer transition kit, which you have to return, right? Uh, for five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars, yes. Uh, and also, if you if you are um, a developer listening to the show and you want to get a cheaper transition kit, there's a lot of Mastodon instances that'll help you out with that. <laughs> That's bad. That's a bad joke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I might cut that out. Lord, Lord um, have mercy. But, mercy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it is. It is. So that's the, that's the old gist of the story. Is that they are going to be missing the transition to sixty four bit ARM chips. Um, so like I said, we got to start with gaming and why? Why gaming? Firstly, on a Mac because because you can now run any iOS app and iPad OS app unmodified on an ARM Mac, and you know what that means? Yes, and that means that you're actually going to have some of the most popular games in the world on Mac now through some really weird ways. Because think about it. Apple with iPadOS 14, they added a bunch of um, support for gamepad remapping, direct keyboard and mouse input. So in theory, you could do a first-person shooter on an iPad for whatever God knows why. But macOS now gets great versions of Minecraft and Fortnite that are native and go through the App Store, right? And... Yeah, they, they, one of the one of the demos that they showed off was Monument Valley, right? Which is uh, which is a little uh, it's a very good game. Uh, is like a good iOS game, rather. They showed off how like the controls work on on the Mac, right? Like they show how it was running on a Mac uh, with an ARM chip. Uh, so and they showed off Tomb Raider, like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, right? Well, I was running in Rosetta, that was translated, but at the same time, that was uh, that's okay. So. So do we want to talk about Rosetta first? I yeah, feel let's like talk about Rosetta, Rosetta because Rosetta is Rosetta two rather because it's not the first time they have called something Rosetta. Uh, if Rosetta was so good, where is Rosetta two? You know, Jesus, uh, stop! Wow, wow. Um, so we have Rosetta two, which is as you, if you're an old Mac user, you're like, wait, I know that name. Yes, it is uh, indeed uh, an emulation layer, right? Uh, that will run well so it's not emulation where it's more like a translator layer i think translation layer that will run ex- like uh like intel like x86 apps right essentially apps that were built for x86 max will run with rosetta uh basically unmodified like you don't like the devel- like the big pitch was that developers don't really have to do anything it will just work with rosetta right uh like add they also emphasize that Rosetta Two is is a transitional layer. It's a transitional like thing that's not going to exist forever. Uh, so, so it's just a temporary thing uh, for now. Is that you can run these? Uh, they they showed off what is it Maya or was it like 
like one of like a, some pro app that they showed up running. Yeah, that was Maya. That was like a three D renderer app, and they also showed up Shadow the Tomb Raider. And the thing is, the thing is about those are those are graphics apps that are built on metal. Now let's think about this objectively. So let's say, for example, I want to run native software from an Intel instruction set x86 to an ARM instruction set. The smart thing to do would be, okay, let's see, are they using an API set? Which they are. So this is also how probably, I think it works on Windows, where with Windows on ARM, where it's, you're not recompiling or doing some weird emulation for DirectX or metal calls. You're just calling them on ARM because it's an abstracted API layer, right? You're just translating those calls. You're not like, you're not, re- you're not emulating the graphics layer. You're natively just rendering it out the same calls. So with apps that use metal, they are just sending the calls, like they have an API layer that just sends the calls to the, the ARM GPU, right? Like they just have. Uh, like a shim layer, right? I guess uh, that just yeah, ditto for like AppKit apps, right? Like if you're calling a native, let's say you're calling like a map API, right? That API call is still the same in Swift between Intel and that, right? It's not sure there's work that needs to be done beforehand to you know change those calls to the proper x the uh, ARM ones, but that means you reduce a lot more overhead. Like, see, what I want to know is how the fuck does Discord run on? on the Rosetta too. That's the real test, right? Like how does an Electron app, because the thing is that web browsers, that's where you start to get code that's very, very, you know, and structure or instruction set specific, right? Heavy and very complex. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm really curious about what is going to happen to things like, uh, like Firefox on Mac OS. Like what's, what's. Well, they can recompile for ARM. There's a Firefox for Windows ARM on ARM build. And there's also a Chrome for Windows on ARM. I don't think the big apps are the problem. I think it's more of like audio software, right? Like getting these plugins and stuff. Like, uh, like Logic is gonna have an ARM build, right? Like, I, like I'm guessing Logic is gonna have Logic a- already has one. They've said during the keynote. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so, but the plugins, though, right? Like, how are plugins going to be emulated? Do I need to wait until there's an ARM version of my plugins available? How does that work? That's a story we got to see. Mm. That's that. Yeah, that's going to be more clear, I guess, in September. Yeah. But, and this is why I bring it to talking about gaming, though, because with this layer, you technically get a whole bunch of like Apple's priorities on games, right? Are that free to play games, make them a lot of money. And it's more important to push into that than it is to push into native games. They don't care about like actual PC games. So, in theory, Mac OS is about to come to this platform where free to play gotcha games run really well. And that's a weird thing to think about when you say that out loud. Mac OS is now the premier, the premier platform for gotcha games. Cause it, cause an active cooled mobile processor, right? Well, or an ARM processor that's actively cooled will run your free to play Dragalia lost game. Wait, hold up, hold up. Can, can you play Pokemon go on, 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 on your fucking new ARM MacBook? Is There's that a nothing thing? stopping you. There's nothing the stopping fuck? you from running Pokemon <laughs> Go. You can, in theory, I mean, it has a bigger battery, so you can like, yeah, ca- have like a special backpack you could carry around. I don't, I, I, I don't. Especially know, like, if they make a like special... a cellular version of the um, app, oh the ARM Max, right? I mean, they, I bet they're gonna make a cellular version. See, this is such a bizarre world we live in now, right? Think about that. There is like literally, this is the premier free to play gaming platform, and it's it's a strange place to be in. Because think, guess what? iOS apps will run even if they're side loaded. You don't have to get them from the app store. You just install that package and you run it. Oh my god! Uh, you can you can run all your favorite iOS apps. Can I run Overcast uh, uh, now on on? Uh, <laughs> if I can run Overcast on my Mac. And this is uh this is also the the iOS stuff's important because now no more Electron apps. We're now using the iOS versions because they're better. 
but I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, that's 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 it's it's gonna be interesting. That's like it's we live in interesting times, as they say, and it's it is going to be interesting to see how apps make this transition. And and I think one of the things that's at least reassuring is that Apple ha- seems to be very confident in their in their translation layer. And they're very confident in Rosetta two is ve- going to be very 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 solid for like it's going to do the heavy lifting for a lot of apps right that are gonna that are not like gonna immediately update right at it for the rest of the apps that's going to be like yeah i mean like the big apps kind of going to make the transition first i imagine because they're going to have the resources uh the developers to make the transition happen uh like adobe is already i guess already working on it like you know yeah same thing for microsoft office but i think um I think next up, though, is also speaking about Microsoft stuff, let's talk about virtualization, booting, and sort of how that works. There's a video linked about the system architecture and the boot process in our Mac. We're not really going to go into all of that. Just a couple key things to take away from it is no more boot camp. The, the way forward is that there's now a new native hypervisor-like framework that allow you to virtualize Linux distros. And it might seem that Apple realizes that developers are important because during the talk show interview with John Gruber, they basically said like, they, they, they're like, we could have just turned off terminal access and locked this down. But we realized that people buy Macs to use terminals to do dev, Docker environments to do these dev environments, which is interesting because, hey, maybe that means that it'll still be, you know, it might not be all bad because ultimately the fear is right that Apple will continue to lock things down and everything turns into a glorified toaster, which I think is more of a fear that comes on Mastodon because people are generally, they don't, they don't like Apple, which is fine. Like, which I always say, because I've gotten a little bit of trouble on this on the timeline before. But like when I talk about this stuff, like I'm not saying ever that me thinking this is good means that you shouldn't be able to build your PC running Linux, right? Like I actually think we should live in a world where both of those exist, where I can have this Mac that is somewhat locked down, but you know is better for me, and then you can still have your nice open source system talking to your five friends on Riot and all these other you know decentralized services, and that's fine. That's fine. It's okay to use KDE. It's okay to use other things. It's just that. It's okay to, we can, we can be different and be together. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I sound like a fucking diversity ad right now for like some major brand, but, um, the more, the, the also, uh, other interesting bit is that system integrity protection can still be turned off. They explicitly said they don't ever plan to disable that. Like they want that for hobbyists to exist, but booting of other OSs is not allowed on um, our Macs. Basically how it works is you have two security protocols. You have like an iPhone. We only ever boot the, most up-to-date and the most current OS that's been signed. And then you can turn that validation off and it will only ever boot known good OS signed by Apple. So in theory, if you could figure out how to trick the system into thinking this Linux image is a known good OS, it would boot it. But at that point, you're sort of having to write a whole hardware driver set for the ARM Max, right? Because this is the same reason you can't boot Linux on an Android phone easily, right? There's no... With x86, we have a common set of device APIs and device drivers and device layouts on motherboards, right? Even like a PCB layout of how that's work, how that works. And because of that common hardware set, we can build you know operating systems out boot on many PCs. Whereas ARM is more specialized than ARM Max that has these. However, Apple lays out their PCBs on their motherboards and you know they have their... If they even have PCI lens or do some other interface, right? And it's the same thing for phones. And that's why you've never been able to have like a generalized OS that can be booted on phones across the board yeah the arm is still a weird uh weird land where yeah it's like not not like x86 where you can like boot other os's somewhat easily right it's 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 like it's complicated uh 
And I'm yeah, I'm this this is gonna be a weird, weird feature because it's gonna be uh there's still gonna be these uh, Intel Macs like lying around, right? People are, people are not gonna get rid of their Intel Macs. Uh, they just recently released a Mac Pro that is a powerhouse of an Intel, uh, like a powerhouse piece, like Intel ch- chipset and everything, right? Like it's it's not like they're not they're putting those users like in, like they. I think they know. I think they realize that they can't completely abandon the Intel platform like immediately. Like, but they can start transitioning at least the lower end, right? Like, so like like the MacBook Air and like of of like laptops, right? Like they can start transitioning those to those to ARM chips, and it will be probably mostly fine uh, for most people. Although I have a I have a question for you as a someone who is obviously not you'll never buy an ARM Mac because this doesn't really work of how you how you use computers the concept so with Windows and um and and Mac OS now because I ultimately I do believe that long term what we're looking at here today is also the future of Windows if you think about it Microsoft likely is also going to start exerting more control because it just makes sense from a platform vendor to do that but so. The idea that we're going to have really great virtualization, so you can use WSL and you can use um, Debian boxes on your Mac or your PC to do dev work instead of ever actually touching Linux on physical hardware. How bad of a thing is that, do you think? Because in theory, you could do, you probably have better web dev support, you know, on an ARM Mac of spinning this up than you would right now on a regular Mac doing it, you know, installing those packages natively. And it probably works better for doing Docker and other deployments of server-side software. It, I... Like I, I have WSL uh, installed, and I recently updated actually WSL to WSL two, which which is now like because of the new build of Windows, I have WSL two, and I don't like I don't have a problem with WSL two, like WSL as a thing existing on Windows. I still prefer to use Linux directly, but not physically. Like I use virtual systems right like vms like i have vm i have a i have vmware running on my on my machine and i also have access to servers uh like on cloud services that run linux right and but ultimately you're still not running linux on your physical hardware like as a right like a linux user would i haven't run yes that's true i haven't run linux like on physical desktop or server like physical desktop server personally for a long time uh, I've been virtualized on Linux for a long time. So, and it doesn't like, I, I'm not really a developer, right? And I don't write, uh, code. I mostly write maybe like a bit of YAML for, for writing Ansible related automation stuff. And it doesn't really like affect me whether it is on WSL or like I prefer to use GUI editors. So I just write, what I do is I write code i write yaml in in like in in atom and then i push it to push it to github and then i pull it on my server and i run it there if that's that's my workflow like that's literally what i do like i just write the yaml on my desktop i push it to git and and then i pull i then i pull it on on the server and then i run it from the server that's it. That, that's literally it. Like it doesn't. It like if I if I had to use an ARM PC, like it would that wouldn't be a, like that workflow wouldn't be affected because I could still just like SSH into a server and do my thing, and I still probably could run a visual uh, like a code like Atom or VS Code, right? I could just just do that. Like it's not it's not it doesn't significantly affect me, but uh, there would there definitely be probably people who would be more affected that are more integrated with certain OSs. Or using a build chain that's more integrated, that's that's going to be uh, problematic to 
have those weird virtualization layers that like WSL. Uh, but yeah, uh, it depends on what you're doing and how you're doing it and what your workflow is. Is is it's 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 going to be my guess. Yeah, it's just it's just strange to me because like we're kind of getting to a place where like if you the only real reason to put Linux on your desktop is because a you um like it and b user freedoms and it's just like this. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I have yet to figure out what my actual opinion in a lot of pieces. WSL, I think, is actually better than doing native dev work on Windows. Like that's good. And I also think that Mac OS having a virtualized layer is probably better than trying to get Linux running on your MacBook or using a virtual machine. But at the same time, you're just mm. yeah. I, I really do think like I could use desktop Linux right now if I didn't play Windows based games, right? If I didn't play games, I would be able to use Linux on the desktop, right? Like not, not like everything else that I do on, on my desktop machine is doable on, on Linux, right? Like on Linux on the desktop specifically. Like like I most of the stuff I I'm, I'm in like terminals and a web browser, right? Like you know, that is obviously doable in desktop Linux. The thing that's not doable is the majority of Windows games, right? Uh so so that's like that's my my take on this whole situation, like the arm, like arm transition, obviously I'm, I'm going to be on X86 for, for a while. Like I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, so I'm, I'm not particularly like Mac OS. My time with Mac OS has in, in many ways has come to an end long before this transition will even start. So it is basically, I, I should just like recycle my MacBook pro and get a windows laptop is, is what I'm saying. Uh, that's, that's probably the, yeah. It's just like PS. It's just, it's basically at this point, like we expected all this to happen, but because this is happening, it's still hella interesting. Just it's, it's interesting. Definitely interesting. A lot of, lot to talk about that. It's interesting. Definitely when you transitioning architectures. Also, I guess lastly, we should say just because I said I want to talk about performance for a minute. By performance, there's not really a long conversation to have because Jesus is running long and I really need some lunch in my life right now. But, um, yes, yes, Sam, Sam, <laughs> basically the idea of X with, x86 processor has been more cores that run as fast as they can and multi-thread the fuck out of them whereas arm chips are faster cores slow power efficient cores that are slower and then coprocessors and it's i want to i'm very interested to see how apple does their coprocessor set right because right now we have on phones machine learning coprocessors we have other like low power um the health stuff right has a coprocessor we are like they probably have uh like video decoding yeah that's what i'm interested about do they have video encoding right like are we going to start getting hardware accelerated coprocessors for like raw footage or whatever right like that mpx module are they just going to try and include that on the system and package right for the actual max yeah that's the, like they have more more like die like more space on like a, on the motherboard right like nabona yeah and you can cool it with a fan now so that means you can do far more we could cool it with a fan you can you can have a fan on these arm chips which which you changes the performance to power uh, ratio significantly in, in contrast to like 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 do they have like parts of a compiler as a coprocessor right to speed up code compile compilation like who knows yeah yeah who knows it's, it's all up in the air right now like there's not this it's, it's gonna be an interesting few years while apple figures this out right uh i'm, I'm curious what the actual hardware that's they're gonna ship with with these arm trips is gonna look like the first bits of of this uh, probably not until next year, uh, at least, right? I would imagine. No, they said end of the year they're going to launch their first one. End of the year, okay. So, so I guess they're not going to start shipping probably till like. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be a while before we start talking about this. Like, we actually have hardware that actually like put, like hardware that they sell to customers uh, with with the these chips. Then and then the, I think the discussion is is going to be yeah. Because right now all we can do is just make jokes about how the Windows on ARM team is getting owned. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Um, this has been a, this is probably even the longest episode we have had in a while, just because there's there's a lot like the the this architecture transition. So you know, it's, it's a lot. Uh, so as always, uh, show notes are on twoshadesofbrown.com. Contact us via email. Uh, contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. You can find me on 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 the Fediverse at packetcat at tenforward.social and on my website, thoughtlikesave.com and also patreon.com slash packetcat. Uh, Chosa, where do people find you on the internet? You can find me online at Chosafine.website. website. You can find me on Mastodon at, ch- at Chosafine at Twitter.xyz. And please send me hot takes about running, about if you think this transition will make running Linux on ARM chips better blanket because the patches Apple's doing any new focus on virtualizing Linux on ARM. Um, if you use the Pine Book, hi, I know you exist. It's okay. Um, and yeah, until next time. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye.